In today's episode of Return on Intelligence, we are speaking with Matt Pittman, Principal Analyst at the Brandon Hall Group. We discuss the new pace of play in terms of learner expectation and L&D delivery, and the role the post-pandemic rebound has had on learning and development organizations. Well, welcome to the podcast, Return on Intelligence. Today's guest is Matt Pittman, Principal Analyst with the Brandon Hall Group. Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great, Al. Great to be with you. Yeah, thank you so much for taking the time and and, uh, committing some time to our podcast. We really appreciate it. Today's today's topic will be uh, the new pace of play in terms of learner expectation and L&D delivery. And I'd just love to dig into the role that the post-pandemic rebound is playing on this new pace of play. And, and so with that being said, Matt, at the Brandon Hall Group, kind of what are you seeing in terms of a post-pandemic rebound uh, in learning and development? Well, so there's several things that we've seen in that sort of post-pandemic world. Uh, most notably, we're seeing... Um, shifts in how companies are managing their learning and approaching that a management of learning. We're seeing shifts in how learning is getting delivered. Uh, we're seeing some return to pre-pandemic expectations, but not really all the way. It's sort of a correction, but we're not really going back to that pre-pandemic life, so to speak. Uh, so you and I were speaking earlier about when I was in my prior role before coming to Brandon Hall Group at the start of the pandemic. Uh, we had a learning strategy, we were blowing and going, we had lots of stuff happening. And then the pandemic hit and I worked for a healthcare organization and our entire purpose uh, as a learning team shifted literally overnight to real-time support of physicians who were treating COVID patients. And we went from a very robust, very comprehensive learning strategy, learning uh, agenda to we are building peer-reviewed, peer-delivered weekly webinars, and we're helping turn doctors into presenters and uh, handling all of those logistics. And then coming out of the pandemic, when that urgency began to die off, we, we tried to shift back to normal life, and it was it was really challenging to do. Uh, so organizations are really having to look at what was successful during the pandemic, how have we changed our approach to work, uh, the whole argument around return to the office, return to work uh, versus staying remote first or hybrid uh, work environments has a huge impact on how learning and development has to get done. Uh, what learners expect, because I am now not in the office every day necessarily. And I am not uh, geographically located with my coworkers. So what am I expecting and how am I going to engage with uh, learning content and what do I want to learn versus what does the company need me to learn? All of those pieces play into it. Uh, in fact, you know, in our most recent learning benchmarking survey at the beginning of this year, we have seen that most learning functions are not centralized. So when we talk about kind of your learning structure, organizational structure, uh, we tend to talk about centralized or decentralized. And really the decentralized follows uh, a couple of variations. And in our most recent survey, uh, there were 20% 
of organizations said their structure was centralized, meaning a corporate learning team, the way you're used to it, old, good old fashioned corporate training team uh, versus a decentralized team where you have multiple learning teams sitting in multiple divisions across an organization. Many organizations are in what we would call a hybrid model, which is somewhere in between the two, where there's some form of a centralized team that are acting really as gatekeepers and enablers of learning versus uh, being on the ground in the field with the teams addressing needs in the moment as they come up. And we're starting to see the emergence of a new approach to learning management, which is this learning business partner concept. So if you think about uh, the idea of someone who is the face of learning to the business and behind them is a variety of teams delivering on those needs, but you have this business partner who's in the business and understands the business, but also understands and has the, the ability to marshal learning resources behind them. And it's really uh, a pretty interesting shift between uh, what we saw in 2023 and what we saw in 2020 when we asked the same question. So in 2020, we had a 40% centralized and 22% decentralized and another 38% or so hybrid. Whereas in 2023, as I mentioned, that centralized number has been cut in half. And you see that growth in the decentralized model and uh, the hybrid model holding steady and then the emergence of that learning business partner model. Well, and in review of those slides prior to um, you know this discussion, when you talk about the role of, of or, or the evolution to a decentralized L&D strategy, and you think about those using a hybrid strategy, I mean, according to your study, we're talking 70% of all organizations are now you know incorporating some decentralized theme. And what do you think has yep. caused this this trend? Um, are there are there root causes that you've seen? Because just the movement from twenty two percent of decentralized in twenty twenty to uh, you know thirty four percent, if if my memory serves, you know, we're talking about a fifty percent absolute increase. This is material, and and I know that part of that will be coming out of that pandemic perhaps out of necessity during the pandemic, but what are your thoughts as to what is pushing this theme forward? I think it's a combination of, of, of factors. The pandemic response and the new way of working brought on by that pandemic response certainly serves that. I think you also have the balance or the dance between what the organization needs to accomplish as a whole, because they are an employer and what the individual business lines need to accomplish in order to deliver on their results. And so the closer you are to the actual work that is happening, the, the more immediate impact you're able to have versus relying solely on a corporate team that's a little removed from the day-to-day -day in many cases. And so I think what you're really seeing is the balance of let the corporate team handle and manage the things that apply to all, and then let the lines of business handle those things that are specific to their environment, to their context, to their people. And within that, I think is the balance, there is a, a, a big balance of a dance that has to go on to say, you know, where are those lines? And even though those lines are 
in place, we're all on the same team. We're all striving for the same purpose and the same outcome, which is effective learning for our employees, but serving different purposes. I think that really what you're seeing is learning teams are shifting to more of a specialist model. We used to be generalists back in the day when I started my career training, you were the training department and you did all training, no matter what the topic. And what we're really seeing is the growth of expertise from a training perspective. So this, the role of the subject matter expert as trainer um, and enabling that in a more formal way. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think there's so much discussion around the the role of L&D, how it's evolved um, in the past few years from being a gatekeeper, you know, being the gatekeeper in the corporate L&D to more of an enabler strategy. And, you know, I, I think we both agree that the pace of play now um, today is, is much higher than it was pre-pandemic, but that the pandemic wasn't what has caused this new pace of play. It's an outcome for sure. You know, there's certain things like you've mentioned, remote first environments, um, and just the ability and, and need for L and D teams, um, you know, to be agile and and show that responsiveness that was completely required during that pandemic. But do you have do you believe that you know this new pace of play is not only driven from these factors, but also from the you know as as the I'm not sure how to properly say this, but as our workforce changes to more Gen Z participants. And I mean, I, I believe there's a, a role to be played there in terms of demanding a new pace of play, just based on how, you know, this generation learns. What are your thoughts on that? 100%. I think that generationally, the, the, the new generation that's coming into the workforce that is shaping how we talk about work and how we plan work and how we reward good work and how we recognize contribution, all of those things must also extend to our learning experiences. And, you know, this is the first generation that's coming into the workforce that has never learned without the use of the internet, that has never been able to not look up. That's not really a great way to say that, but they've always been able to go to YouTube, to go to Google, to go wherever to find answers to questions. We regularly have family dinners where my, you know, my Gen Z kids and my baby boomer wife, and I'm, I'm sort of in between. So I'm the Gen Xer in the group and we'll have conversations at the table where my, you know, 90 year old father-in-law will ask a question or say something. And somebody at the table is picking up the phone to, to find the answer, you know, used to just have conversations and say, oh, I don't know. That's interesting. We should look into that. Well, what happens now is we organically look into it over pasta to get to that answer. And that has to affect how we support learning in the workplace because that is organic behavior. So I think that is absolutely the case. And when you have programs in organizations that have been around for multiple cycles and they were built for a, a different time, and a different audience, simply picking that up and dropping it into a digital template isn't necessarily going to organically change the effectiveness of the work. And so learning teams are having to scramble to say, oh, you mean I can't just put this static PowerPoint up on my LMS and call it done? 
you know, no, you can't. You have to really give thought to what do you need your folks to learn? What kind of experience do they want to be having? How can we make sure that we're giving as much of that organic experience as possible? Because if we don't, they will go find it for themselves. And then there will be a misalignment of information, of expectations, of actual behavior and performance in the end. Well, I, I think, you know, with my Gen Z, Gen Z uh, children, they're experts at solving their curiosity. And they've they've been given the tools. Like it, it's just fascinating to me the tools they've been provided to satisfy their curiosity, whether that's something that'll impact their career or our hobby. And I've mentioned in in other episodes how you know personally, like the ability to learn guitar, you know, through YouTube and and other other you know social media platforms is absolutely incredible. I wish that I'd had those tools that are available today you know, 30 years ago. And I'm, I'm, I'm just in awe at, at what I can accomplish when I'm curious. And so I think, you know, this Gen Z environment now has, has pushed that, the satisfaction and sometimes the instant gratification requirement of that satisfaction into L and D. And I think that's healthy. Um, we are dealing with a new pace of play and I, and, and, you know, that, that can't be argued. And I, I do believe, yes, we have the, you know, the, requirement of agility and responsiveness in, in the pandemic. We learned a lot of about, you know, how to go about doing that. That was the first time in our generation we've had to respond in that manner. We've come out of the pandemic with many remote first environments, but not every L&D uh, environment is remote first. You know, there's still a lot of manufacturing and, and environments where that can't be remote first, and we're still applying new paces of play in those environments. Um, we've got a workforce, as we just spoke, that, that is demanding um, quick solutions. And, and, um, like we said, they want their curiosity solved. So it's all blended together to become this new pace of play. One question that we've been discussing, um, a lot in, in some of our episodes is the role of empathy. And, and certainly there is a role of empathy in this new pace of play. And from the Brandon Hall group's perspective, what would you say that role is? That's a great question. I think when we think about the role of empathy in the pace of play, it is allowing space for change to take hold uh, and allowing space for practitioners to get their minds around uh, this new pace of play and around the new realities of uh, things like uh, AI and uh, augmented reality and virtual reality applications. Uh, we have had several award-winning organizations uh, talk about the practical applications of virtual and augmented reality technologies, which is something that this the younger generation has been doing since they could control a mouse. Um, you know, and sit in front of the computer and 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 interact. And now we're applying that in the workforce. And to your point, those organ you know those environments where they aren't rem remote first, the the manufacturing and retail operations and uh, logistics and and warehouses and some of those those environments where training is still very much uh, necessary. But where does the the pace of play and the technology capability come in? You know, organizations that are using 
uh, virtual reality to train delivery drivers on how to navigate their retail locations without having to go to the retail location. So that by the time they actually do physically pull up to the store, they've already been there and they know what to look for and they know what where they're headed and they know what that environment would look like. And it may not be 100% accurate as if you were there, but one, it is certainly better than I'm watching a flat video on a computer screen or I'm reading uh, an instruction guide and I'm following a map on a flat piece of paper. So, you know, the empathy is in two places. It's in allowing the practitioner space to come to terms and to learn all that they can and to begin to find ways to bring those um, new tools and techniques into the work that they do and space to let go of what was. Um, and I think there's, we would also probably call it more empathy with a empathy with encouragement to say, look, it's new. Yeah. It's changed. Things have changed. It's not what it was. Get over it and let's get going. You know, here's how you can get, here's how you move forward. Here's how you get, get to the next place. This is how you get to the next thing and helping, um, you know, at Brandon Hall group, we're all about empowering excellence. So we're all about helping you navigate those conversations that you're going to have to navigate with your organization to say, look, the way we've done this, we can't keep doing it because it's not going to be effective. It's not going to be cost effective. It's not going to give us the results that it used to give us. We need to change how we approach this. You need it to be faster. In order for it to be faster, it needs to be this. It needs to be that, whatever the case may be in your environment. And it's very, very environment specific. You know, I think from an empathy perspective, it's important that there is no longer, and I would argue to a certain extent, there never has been a one size fits all solution to any of this. Uh, I believe in the early days of my career as a learning professional in the early nineties, there was a way you did it. And every training experience followed the same format. It's followed the same model and it didn't matter. I worked in call centers. I worked in healthcare. I worked in software development and all of those things were very consistent. Uh, and what we've learned is no, the one size fits all approach doesn't work. It is very environmental. Who are your learners? What is your business? What are your tools? What do you have available? What, who can you get to help? And that is what determines where you go. Yeah, that's so true. And not to, not, not to forget about learner backgrounds, right? Learner backgrounds and, and learners ability to learn. And in what styles they appreciate it. I think the empathy is really important there as well. You mentioned AI, and I'm so curious to hear um, your thoughts on AI in, in this current pace of play. And have you guys at, at Brandon Hall Group, have you done any studies and have you been studying AI and its impact or role in L&D? And, and what are your thoughts there? We absolutely are. We ran a, a study earlier on the role and impact of ChatGPT in the management of HR and learning and uh, in where people are on that spectrum. Uh, we are have a study going on at the time that we're recording this about the maturity of HR organizations against this new way of working, this so-called future of work, which has really become the present of work. Uh, you know, 
work has changed fundamentally and it's going to continue to change. And we've been talking about it as HR professionals and learning professionals for a long time, but are we making any progress? Uh, and, you know, in early looks at that data, I think people are cautiously optimistic there. Uh, it is, as you might expect, running the gamut. Uh, we're fully embracing it and we're, it's organic in our workflow now to, uh, yeah, we don't allow it. We block it on our servers and nobody can get to it from inside the network. So um, it is going to fundamentally shift how a lot of work gets done and organizations need to get a a handle on where it fits in their work and what their expectations are and what their their uh H is going to be to managing its presence uh in your work because it is going to happen so uh we are spending a lot of energy in the second half of this year and and going really deep on the impact of ai uh in learning and hr in particular so we will have more to say about that. Great. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely touch base with you to, to find out, you know, what those thoughts are. So Matt, I have to ask you, have you seen any um, examples in, in discussing, you know, with your various clients and companies that you work with, you know, any examples of the implementation of AI or chat GPT into the HCM or L&D environments that would be inspirational to other learning and development professionals we're just trying to figure out where they stand with AI. There are varying degrees of integration and presence of AI tools in uh, different uh, applications and different uh, scenarios. And it really does run the gamut. I have talked with uh, talent acquisition and learning providers who have organic AI built into their platforms and have had it for many generations and are now be, you know, almost ahead of the curve. I talked with one learning company recently that a year and a half ago, their CEO saw it coming and basically turned all of their research and development effort and energy into fully integrating AI capability into their platform. And they are, as we speak, releasing that capability into production in their tools. Uh, so, um, it is, and they are doing it in a variety of ways in test builders, in converting documents into interactive, um, learning modules to, uh, building out, uh, help documentation, uh, automatically as you're navigating. Uh, so all of those kinds of capabilities are making their way into the tools and platforms and techniques uh, related to um, learning in the workforce. And on the, you know, on the H HR, HCM, talent acquisition side, talent acquisition were early adopters of AI capability when you look at resume parsing in uh, some of those early ATS capabilities. And those are just continuing to get better and better. Uh, as the the new generation of technology comes down. Yeah, I, I, I just think it's going to be fascinating to see where we get. And, and I believe it'll be in a short time frame, right? Like you guys are studying it hard in 2H of, of this year. And, and, you know, in the next couple of years, it's going to be really interesting to see what sticks because not everything sticks in technology. 
but certainly there will be an impact felt in L&D uh, with a AI for sure. I think you're going to see that like everything new, it will get better and better with time. I do think the cycles will be shorter with AI, like you mentioned, and giving the AI technology time to learn what it needs to learn, you know, knowing that it starts from one place, but the more it gets used and the more it gets asked of things of it, the better it gets at giving those things in response. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not done talking about pace of play then, are we? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Certainly not. So just kind of shifting gears a little bit, um, staying within the pace of play uh, discussion that we're having. At Brandon Hall Group, what modalities are most impactful given this new pace of play based on the studies that you guys are continually doing? What are you seeing? What's What may not have changed or what, what has surprised you? So I think when it comes to learning modalities and utilization, you won't see anything really surprising there. E-learning continues to be at the top. Video, um, instructor-led training, and, and cohort-based learning, all of those things continue to be heavily utilized. But when it comes to what learning teams and learning professionals consider to be very effective, uh, you know, e-learning and web-based courses are right at the top. Webinars are right behind that. Uh, video on-the-job training um, and flipped classroom approaches, which is really flipped classroom is, to from my perspective, almost just a fancier way of approaching blended learning. We used to call it blended learning back in the day, right? Flipped classroom is I'm doing some stuff on my own and then I'm having a some sort of group or classroom-based experience uh, as part of that evolution. Those top five are all um, showing up on our most recent benchmarking survey as being the most effective uh, in accomplishing what the goals are for the learning. What's kind of coming up new on that list uh, is gaming and simulation and the social peer-to-peer -peer collaboration approach that talks about sort of cohort learning and um the group experience that's not necessarily a live in-person experience so i'm logging into my learning portal at my organization and i'm in this learning group and we're all working through the content at the same time but not necessarily in the same space or the same moment but we're interacting and we're commenting and we're we're sharing and we're we're having those social media-like experiences as part of our learning journey together. All of all of it is very uh, digital heavy, as you might imagine, with the exception of that on-the-job training, uh, which I know is a personal favorite of yours, Al, uh, and that the something we call an after-event review, which is sort of that okay, we, this happened. Now let's talk about what happened and what we, what did we do? What went well? What do we need to do differently moving forward. And would you say like in reviewing past studies, like is on the job training, like it's moved up the list. Like, I, I mean, we've had discussions with people like Aaron's who use skill demonstration and observation checklists, et cetera, in their live retail store. And you know, they describe that as a 
culture-changing moment when they realized the power of kind of OJT observational um, analysis and skill demonstration. You know, at Brandon Hall Group, is that something that you believe has always been there and, and maybe it's a new discovery for certain organizations or has it has it become more prevalent? It's one of those things that I would say has always been there. There's really nothing much new under the sun. OJT really was training in, in the early, early days. It's always been there in some form. What I do think has changed is how organizations view it, where it used to be a necessary evil. When I was running training for call centers, I would run into this issue all the time, whereas I need to get these people on the phone, let's just get them on the phone. Well, you can't put them on the phone if they don't know what to say. And if they don't know what to do with the information that they're learning, from the customer. If you if they don't know what to do and they don't know what to say, you don't need them on the phone. It's going to make the situation worse. So I think companies have learned to value it more. I think companies have learned to leverage it better and more intentionally. And I think that's what's accounting for the increase in effectiveness. I think when you talk about a a hybrid work environment, the ability to work with a co-worker in a virtual setting to learn how to do things, you know, that wasn't even really possible, you know, as, you know, recently as four or five years ago, you couldn't even do that really because, you know, we didn't all have web conferencing capability in the organization because nobody needed it. So all of those factors, I think, have changed why that has come back to the forefront. Yeah, great. Thank you. Um, now, as we talk about, you know, decentralizing, you know, the L&D uh, at different organizations where that's possible, one thing I read a lot about is the role of learning councils. And not so much that these are brand new ideas, but people are now utilizing these learning councils, in my eyes, they're keeping their eye on the prize. And to make sure that when they decentralize, they are still going to have the success. What are you seeing with the role of, um, or prevalence of, of learning councils in, in L&D, uh, you know, during this new pace of play that's, that's coming out of the pandemic? So I think with learning councils and learning governance, that approach has always had value. And we've known for years the importance of engaging stakeholders, engaging leadership in setting priorities, in making decisions in the context of the business need and the clarifying the marching orders, if you will, for the learning and development agenda within the organization. I think that to your point, it becomes even more important when your learning team is not all in one place when it doesn't report to the same leader within the HR umbrella as it always used to, uh, when it when there are lattice relationships and matrix relationships and dotted line reporting relationships and shared budgets and all of those complexities of the modern work space that learning teams are having to navigate, having a strong learning council in place that has a clear purpose, that has 
um, motivation and understanding of why they are being asked to serve in this capacity and then has real influence on what decisions are made and what actually does happen and get done in the organization when it comes to learning, I think is absolutely critical. And we are seeing that most organizations do have an active learning governance structure that meets at least once a year. We recommend uh, anywhere between you know six to 12 times a year, monthly or every other month. Uh, the more frequently you engage them, the more engaged they will be. Um, they are really helpful. Learning councils are really important when it comes to data collection and measurement and showing learning impact on the business, which is actually the point of workplace learning. You know, coming back to why did we do this in the first place? It's to drive the performance of the organization and to support the performance of the business. So uh, navigating data issues and access issues, um, navigating motivation and engagement and buy-in from pockets of the organization for a particular learning initiative or engagement uh, can be really powerful when you have an operating vice president who is the first one to go through the new online harassment course and then says, I took this, it took me this long. It was interesting. I actually learned something and I didn't pass the quiz the first time. Now you have two weeks to get this done. As opposed to just getting another email from learning that says, hey, you got to get your harassment training done. So those kinds of scenarios, learning councils are critical to driving that entire learner experience. They're really the the protectors of the learner experience in the context of the business, because they know what's going on in the business better than any learning leader will know organically. And so the more I can partner with those colleagues who are closer to that part of the business, the clearer picture I'm going to have, the better understanding I'm going to have, the better access I'm going to have to the people and the resources and the information that I need to give the organization what it needs. Yeah. And also not to mention the impact on the corporate culture, right? Like imperative in that is, is having activities such as the learning council involving all levels of, of employees and decisions being made on their behalf. So, um, no, that's great. Great discussion there. At the Brad and Hall Group, have you seen any gaps this new pace of play may be causing in L&D? And what are your thoughts or comments on that? You know, I think the the there's a couple of things that I would call out there. Uh, I don't know if gap is the right word, but it, it definitely is something that is causing a lot of controversy, let's say. Uh, there are definitely schools of thought that are um, evolving that say the the idea of online performance support, that ability to support a team member in the moment completing a task because they're either new or it's a new task or it's a new system or it's a change in process and being able to get an answer uh, in clear direction in that moment that I can personally go get for myself, this idea of online performance support in app tutorials or um, video walkthroughs that I can easily find and, and, uh, and bring into my 
my digital workspace in the moment that I need it is uh, something that I think links to that OJT conversation that we were having. But it's one of those things that learning organizations often consider secondary to the more formal learning approaches of e-learning e-learning modules or uh, live training classes. And I think that what you're going to see over the next few years, the research is really starting to show, not just for Brandon Hall Group, but broader research from organizations like McKinsey and others, where they're coming out and saying, look, performance support is going to be the primary mode of training in workflow-driven environments. And so I think organizations need to start paying more close attention to that trend uh, and not let it become a gap. Uh, begin to look now at what they need to do to enable that to work best in their environments and their organizations. Uh, the other thing that came to mind when you said that was the focus on measurement and analytics and the perpetual conversation that we have about how do you measure learning. The one thing that we consistently are saying to organizations is you must be able to show that your learning is impacting the performance, not that it's causing the performance because there are way too many factors there, but that it's impacting that performance. That there is a reason that your learner, your teammate is being asked to, directed to, required to engage with this learning. And on the other side, it is changing their ability to impact the outcome of the organization. So I think those two, and they go hand in hand in some respects, but I think those data, those data conversations and that performance support conversation continue to be lagging areas in some ways. Okay. Bell, those are great points. So Matt, are, I, I've completely enjoyed our conversation with regards to new pace of play, uh, kind of the post-pandemic rebound, our discussion on learning councils, and even, you know, most recently these gaps that you you have seen from the Brandon Hall Group. In conclusion, though, or to, to end our podcast today, do you have any advice or high-level strategies for learning and the future of work for the L&D professionals that are tuning in today? Absolutely. We've done quite a bit of work over the last couple of years to understand how learning teams are responding to the future of work to uh, and, and what's, what they're finding successful. We spent a lot of time talking to partners um, about what they are finding uh, customers are asking for. And you know, when it comes to how do we navigate this and lay out the strategies that are going to uh, have the most impact? We uh, start with number one, working with the business. Um, work with your business partners, leverage your learning governance. If you don't have a learning council in place, start one. Even if even if it's an informal email group to you know the the leaders that you have the best relationship with in the organization to say, hey, as I'm looking at planning for next year's learning agenda, what are the top three things that, you know, skills that your organization, 
you know, your teams need to know that they need to get better at or they need to have that they don't necessarily have today. But you've got to work with the business to know what those skill gaps um, are in the organization and understanding what the goals are, what is the business trying to accomplish, and where are they going to need help in order for that to happen. So that's number one. Uh, the, the second one is really assessing current technology, look at your learning ecosystem, and compare it to those future needs and the plans, the things that you know are coming. Where do you need to round out your ecosystem? Where do you need to update your ecosystem? Where do you need to flat out replace things uh, and you know shutter some things and, and bring new things in to support filling those skills gaps, enabling you to provide that learner experience that you want your coworkers to have uh, to enable you to personalize that learning experience uh, and to do it quickly. So what tools do you need to be able to meet this pace of play? Uh, what tools can you add that have those AI native AI capabilities uh, built in and that they are continually refining and making available to you. And then right on the heels of that comes looking at the skills of your learning team. Look at your own skills as a learning and development professional. As you're listening to things like generative AI and you're listening to things like data lakes and, and analysis tools and online performance support, if you aren't sure what some of those things are, Spend some energy and get get your skills and knowledge up to speed. And learning leaders have got to look at their teams and say, do I have all of the skills that I need on my team to deliver what the organization is asking me to deliver? And if I don't, what do I need to do to build the skills and capabilities of my team that's here or to bring in those more specialized and newer skill sets that we are absolutely going to need. Uh, the next one is really becoming familiar with all of the emerging technologies that are going to shape the future work. We've kind of touched on that already. Uh, we are no longer at the place where learning and development professionals can sit back and wait and think and listen and watch. You need to you need to roll your sleeves up. You need to wade into the pool and figure out what's going on and and how it affects you and what you can do to um, make it work in your organization. And the, the last one is right at the heart of the whole pace of play conversation, which is shifting to more agile processes for developing and delivering learning to better respond to changes in the business. Because if 2020 taught us nothing else, it is that we can adjust and we can deliver content learning that is real-time responsive to what is happening in our business and with our teammates and with our organizations. And there are ways we can set ourselves up to make that even easier so that we're not necessarily going through a full-blown needs assessment and design and development um, process that we build templates that we are able to easily understand this is the, the need, this is how it is different from what has what has been or what you was yesterday. And then here's here's the framework that we can use to build this learning experience 
quickly and effectively and be okay with we get it out and oh it's not working but let's fix it now don't wait six months to fix it roll it out something's not right pull it back and fix it and push and push it back out we have to work more um cyclically than we have traditionally worked as learning professionals and i think uh in the e-learning world people have gotten pretty good at that but in the broader conversations of learning strategy i think the iterative nature and the taking a year a year and a half two years to solve a problem from a learning perspective is those days are are really gone you can't you can't take that long to do anything anymore quick hits short focused and move on and you know iterate and fix it iterate and fix it that's great just great advice and Matt, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, I've really enjoyed this discussion and I really look forward to the future when we can maybe reach out first quarter of next year and, and discuss the, uh, the impact of AI and what you guys have seen in the next studies. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Al. It was a lot of fun. I look forward to keeping the conversation going. 